Welcome back to a new episode of On the Issues with Alan Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Nilufar Rahmani. Nilufar is the first female fixed-wing pilot in the Afghani Air Force, earning her wings in 2012, and the first female pilot in Afghanistan since the fall of the Taliban in 2001. In 2015, she was awarded the U.S. Department of State's International Women of Courage Award for her dedication to her career and commitment to encouraging other young women to join the Air Force, all in the face of death threats against herself and her family. Her book, titled Open Skies, My Life as Afghanistan's First Female Pilot, was just published in early July. In this episode, Alan and Nilufar discuss her journey to become a pilot in Afghanistan, the challenges she faced as a woman fighting for her dreams in her home country, the death threats she and her family faced due to her career, and her quest for asylum in the United States. They also discuss the changes to her career since moving to the U.S., and what the American withdrawal from Afghanistan will mean for her family and for all Afghanis. Yeah, I just want to tell you that I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you. Um, you obviously, I'm sure you've been told before, you are enjoying a unique situation, a unique position, being that you were born in Afghanistan and have achieved something that no other woman has been able to achieve in Afghanistan itself. I'd, so I'd like our listeners to, to hear first, uh, briefly, your, your story. I know you aspire to become a pilot. Can you just take it from there and tell us how this came about and uh, you managed to get into the Air Force? And we'll take it from there. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Um, it's actually, um, it has been my honor as well to be able, you know, to serve uh, my country and unfortunately, um, you know, there's two things they say you can't choose. It's one, where you will be born. And second, your name, I guess, because your parents choose it. Yeah, you give it. That. Yeah. Right. And um, so unfortunately, I grew up in a country or I was born in a country that unfortunately there is like lack of right for women. They see a woman like uh, something very useless, something like they can't do anything they don't give them the right that they um that's their right like they supposed to have it and i was born in afghanistan in 1991 when there was a war in the country civil war and the taliban and um it was very bad time i'm sure like i don't remember any of them but um as my parents describe um nobody wants to live and um uh, you know, exactly the day that I was born, the apartment next to our house got just bombed. And um, since then, like a million other Afghans, my family become a refugee as well. They moved to Pakistan and we lived there for a very long time uh, under their, you know, in a refugee camp. And it has been very hard for each one of us and um, lack of education being in a country that you're not allowed to go to school. And the same thing, uh, my dream of uh, being a pilot, it has so many, so many reasons. First thing is, um, you know, I don't know how much um, most people know about Afghanistan and how things works, but like my father, he's a very intelligent man. He's a very smart and he is very educated. And the way he thinks, it's completely surprised me because he doesn't think like other Afghan men. He's very open-minded. And um, back when he was young, he always wanted to be a pilot. But unfortunately, 
uh, back then, if you had like connection to government, or if your father was a rich man, or yes, um, yes. you know, like if he was a general, of course you would easily get that position and be a pilot. So nothing was like based on your how smart you are, how um, like you will be qualified for this position. No, like mostly if even you are not that smart in school or you haven't done um, like good in school. Um, because you had a connection in government, you could always get what you wanted. And that's never been the case for my father. And he always, that dream died inside him, you know, like that he wanted to do this, but they never gave him an opportunity. And the same, you know, like I grew up, my dad were telling me about his dreams and he would always tell me he would meet uh, he will make all of our dreams to come true just because he never could get it. He would make anything um, that we want uh, happen. And other than that, you know, since I grew up and in Pakistan in a refugee camp, coming back to Afghanistan under, under the uh, Taliban regime, everything was so unfair, everything for women. Like, women were the one always hurt from the situation. And for me, seeing that situation, um, it always bothered me. Like, every day I would see something which is against women. Like, the only power they have is just to take things from women. Why? Like, why would you punish women always? Why they should be the one always get hurt? And um, dream of being a pilot started, like, from very young age and having my dad telling me his stories and 2001 when um, American jets and fighter airplanes were flying over our country it always amazed me like I would just think that this is something impossible like you have to be unique you have to be genius to do that and um, I guess that dream just grow and grow and grow over time and it kind of become like my own dreams like I wanted a big dreams, the small dreams turned out to have huge dreams for me, and I always wanted to make it happen no matter what. Well, that's right, and it's fascinating. So tell me, once you graduated, I guess in 2012, am I right? When you finished, you got your wings in 2012? 2013. After 2013. And for how, how much, for how long have you flown in Afghanistan itself? I joined the military in 2010, and uh, I was in the, and then I uh, got um, selected to the Air Force. I went to uh, the University of um, the Afghan Air Force, and um, we had to go through a specific trainings. Like, you know, there's like when you become, uh, when you uh, want to apply for this uh, pilot training, like you have to pass like a certain uh, qualification to be able to even uh, be a pilot. So um, unfortunately, that's another story, which is, un it's unfortunate. Like I had to even struggle by getting in and, um, you know, all the way to graduate. But I have flew in Afghanistan uh, since 2012 till 2015. I see. So you... And and uh, which is interesting that is when you applied, and you at uh, being a woman, did you have did you experience any resistance to begin with in the school itself? 
Absolutely. Like the first time when I got the news that I got selected to go to the Air Force after my OCS training, uh, after I graduated from the officer training. And then um, the next day when we went to the Air Force, it has been very interesting to look at every man's face that like they would look at me like, what am I doing here? Like, do I have any parents? Do I have anybody to support me? Because what they see it as, it's a shame for a woman to be here, first of all. Second, I am not a good Muslim woman. And if if I was, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't wear the uniform. And uh, it's just like looking at me the way like I'm not a respected woman just because I have a uniform on or I want to do this job. It's painful enough. What if you know, we go farther that um, I had to do um, medical, like there has been like lots of medical tests and examination that I have to go through before even I get selected for pilot training. And along the way, I had to pass so many medical examination and the medical examiner that his, um, actually his decision is based on even if I'm even going to get to their uh, pilot training or not. So because I was unfortunately, you know, like on their view, a woman and I shouldn't be here, they actually just disqualified me. They told me I am sick. I have a heart problem. And that's the first thing was going to disqualify you from pilot training and being a pilot. And that's what they told me. They said, um, nope, she cannot even go to their pilot training because she has a heart problem. Uh, And the first thing they disqualified me. And the same thing, there has been so much struggles and so much um, barriers that they wanted me, me to quit and from the first place. And um, I was lucky that I had the support of the mentors that was working uh, American with Afghan Air Force. And I had someone to complain about, like, I'm totally fine. Why they are like pretending the way like I'm sick and that will qualify me. I knew this is not me. I am completely fine, but they just want to do something to just disqualify me as a woman. Right. So, so basically you, you, you got the support of the Americans. I think if there were not Americans there, they probably would not be, you would not be able to finish or even, even get into the school in the first place. Am I right to assume that? Absolutely. Because um, at first, um, this was actually American decision that you have women in the military. So the advertisement that the first time I heard that I decided even come or join the military uh, forces was because the United States, uh, with the help of Afghan government, they wanted to give lots of positions and have the women to join the armed forces and be in the military, be anything they want to, because um, any time before that, all the rights from the women was uh, taken away. So... And then when I even joined the military and I, you know, went to pilot training and being a doctor telling me I am disqualified just because I have a heart problem. Yeah, absolutely. If I didn't have the support of uh, American mentors, I would not even be here, the position or the place that I made it that far, just because I had someone uh, to back me up, somebody to, you know, at least listen to me, not look at me as a woman that I'm a woman. Yes, if the doctor tells you you are disqualified, then you're disqualified. We are not. Well, yeah, of course, yeah. So, so in 2015, I take it you received the 
the Medal of the Women of Courage, is that right? Mm-hmm. In the State Department? Yes. Yeah. And from at that point, has the, uh, you know, because you indicated that there was th- increasing threat against your life, against your family. Once once this became known and received that, the Medal of uh, Women of Courage. So did you stay in the U.S. or you, you went back after receiving the medal? No, I did. I did go back Afghanistan and the first place, you know, like this is something they all had to be proud of, like, because when I came to United States to receive this award, most of the people didn't even knew Afghanistan has an Air Force. And I was honored, you know, to tell most of the people in the world that, yes, Afghanistan do have an Air Force. And of course, there's a woman's as well. But um, unfortunately, uh, first they were against it, that why this woman should go get the reward, why they didn't select a man. Of course, this was the woman courage award, not a man courage award. So there was like, um, unfortunately, um, so much issue about that as well. And then when I came to United States to get the award, I was very happy. I thought this will bring changes to their mentality, to the idea they have about me. And it might change them a little bit. But unfortunately, when I went home and I got the award, and I remember the first day I even got back to the Air Force after I came from um, uh, this trip, nobody even told me a congratulation. Nobody told me, oh, that's great. You know, we are proud of you. And uh, it's just like something good for our country, for our military. And uh, it's never been the case. So they look at it basically almost like a stigma instead of being an, an honor. And that's how your colleague mostly have, have looked at it. Is that how, how it was? Correct. But, yeah. Tell me, you know, you indicated on a number of occasions, obviously, that the, and, and which is the case, of course, we know firsthand, women are intensely discriminated against in Afghanistan. And being being one who's been noticed and recognized, you you have become a sort of a target of threats, and and um, which really prompted you. So when did you decide to come to the United States after you've received the the Medal of Women of Courage? So as I mentioned uh, in 2015, after I received the award, I went back home and I was really yeah. expecting that things is going to change. But unfortunately, you know, the threat in my life was already started since 2013. Uh, just because uh, I don't know how much people know about this issue back in home and with the culture is, um, you know, like we have a uh, in Air Force, like when you fly for the first time solo by yourself, um, this is kind of like a tradition, like after you complete your solo, they're going to throw you in a pool of water and with your uniform. And that's exactly what they did to me. So that's the start of the threat. And unfortunately, there has been so many people that they took advantage of the situation. It wasn't like, okay, somebody threatened me over the phone and that's it. No, I wish that was the case because that stuff does not scare me. And what the people pretended for the society, for the religious people, uh, for most of the people that this woman is in the Air Force, but Americans are baptizing her. She is not a Muslim. She's not a Muslim anymore. So sometimes explaining to people what really the situation is doesn't work because people believe on what they see. So people just uh, believe whatever they just see and hear. 
Unfortunately for me, it was hard to prove that and tell them, no, I am still a Muslim. I haven't been baptized, but, you know, some people are just ignorant. Yeah. Yeah, Not only for myself, I wish it was just for myself, all the threats and all these issues, but it started hitting my family. Even, you know, I have um, a brother and sisters, my parents, and uh, there was a point of the time that, the phones, phone calls and threat over the phone stopped. And what happened is they were physically like threatening my brother. My brother got shot twice. Because and yet your father also lost a job, I understand. Absolutely. Your, your, your sister were, were banned from seeing her children. Is that still the case? She still doesn't have, cannot see her children? Is that the case still? Yes. And it breaks my heart to even think about it because... Uh, in Afghanistan, what they see a woman as, okay, if you have a child and you're separating from your husband, um, you can't provide for that child. So um, they give the child to the dad just to, you know, support the child. And since then, um, they never even let my sister see her son. And it's like, he's a grown up, you know, boy now. And my sister doesn't even know how he looks like. And it breaks my heart till nowadays you know she is dreaming about that and she cries every night and thinking about it but that's what most people doesn't realize like i haven't done anything wrong i all i wanted to do is like bring some changes and yeah. the culture yeah. but so first- tell me the, 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 your defense minister sorry did you want to finish i'm sorry no no yeah, the, your defense minister you know, on a more, more than one occasion said uh, that everything you are saying is completely false, that you are welcome to come back and you are welcome to stay in the Afghani Air Force and that you're, the fact that you sought asylum in the United States is, um, is only because you simply don't want to go back to Afghanistan. It, how, how have you been dealing? I mean, obviously... What he's saying from your perspective is not true. Uh, that is, you are threatened. And that is one of the reasons you decided to seek an asylum in the United States. What is happening now that you've actually been receiving the asylum? How Do you still hear rumbles? Do you still hear you get threats from Afghanistan? Or now that you are in the United States, these things pretty much stopped? So the good part is that the threats start to stop directly for me because I am so far away from them. And unfortunately, they can't, you know, uh, it's fortunate that they can't do anything because um, what Afghan government is actually saying is they really um, like failed, really failed to protect me and the same as other pilots. Since this last two years, we have lost so many men pilot that they've been trained and they did so much good things for Afghan Air Force and nobody even protected them. They were men and they got assassinated and they got killed and they got shot to death. And nobody admits what they have done wrong. Nobody says, yes, we didn't do our job and that's what it ended up with. And the good, uh, luckily, I have been very blessed that as i mentioned if it wasn't because of the support of america i wouldn't be alive and uh, the only reason that i end up here is because the situation got really bad and um, the u.s air force and um, they just decided because 
you know, as a pilot, you had to you have to fly because if you don't fly for a certain period of time, uh, like most of the stuff that you're supposed to do, it expires and you have to do have a currency flights and stuff. And I wasn't able to even go to work because the threat was so high. And they decided to send me for a training. So for a while, I get out of the country and people that they're threatening me and my family, they think, okay, I'm not an Air Force anymore. And they think I really listened to them and I quit. And when I came here, unfortunately, um, the threat did, did not stop for my family because, as I mentioned before, I wish it was just the people from the culture, from our country, local people, Taliban, but it was more my own extended family. It's kind of like, how can you hide from your own extended family? They know everything about you. They know every little details about your life. And... Unfortunately, my extended family were another part of the story that they thought I have to be honor killed or my family have to be honor killed just because uh, me and my family brought shame to them for Mm. me me being in the Air Force. So, um, and when I came to the United States, things got really bad for them because my extended family thought my parents are hiding me somewhere and they start threatening them. Arresting them, right, right. But tell me, now that you are in the United States, and since you've been trained by the American Air Force, have you been trying, I guess you have been trying to join the American Air Force. Are you, are you, have you tried? Is there any success? What's the prospect now for you to become a pilot in the United States Air Force? Uh, well, that will be another goal that I have for my future. And unfortunately, uh, since I applied for asylum, the process is very slow. It took like forever and I'm still waiting and I still do not have a green card, which is the resident residency. So um, that's the only thing that stops me. Like I wish I had my um, citizenship because you have to be a citizen to be able to join as an officer to the Air Force or any other um, military branches. And then you can be a pilot. So if you don't have a citizenship, that's something that you cannot do. And that's my hope that uh, I hope the process will get better and I would have my citizenship and I do really want to serve a country and wear the uniform the country that really saved my life and otherwise I wouldn't be alive and I so, do want to be there for yeah so where are you in the process of getting your citizenship I mean obviously given that you've been trained by the Air Force they they know you you received the, the, the women of courage job uh, no pricey. Then you have all of that. Is that is that helping you? Is there any way anyone is helping you to accelerate the process of citizenship? Unfortunately, not. No. Since 2016 till now, which is 2021, I'm still waiting, and I don't even have a uh, permanent residency, which is um, a little sad. But I do understand. You know, every country has their law and rules, but this is way too long you know like just to be able to do something to go to the military like i need to have the right paperwork and it's kind of breaks my heart like you have everything that you need what else can i provide it's just so slow it's very slow is there anything you can do in the interim to maintain your uh you know experience because it's obviously like you said if you don't fly many times you're going to have to go back almost to square one 
uh, are you doing anything to continue to take any flying lessons or flying for a private organization, private companies here in the United States? There are scores, a score of them. Have you tried that? Yes. Uh, and actually, uh, this is another part of good part. Since I came to the United States, I have been very blessed by having good people around me. There has been a flight school um, in Florida that they offered me a full scholarship because you know how it works. Most of the countries, doesn't matter how educated you are, where did you get your degree in your country, which um, college or which university, you still need to have the paperwork from the United States. So that was the case for me as well, even though I was trained with the U.S. Air Force and all the training was exactly like the U.S. Air Force. But uh, when I applied for so many, um, you know, U.S. flying jobs, they required me to have like a U.S. license. And uh, that has been very heartbreaking that I was like, I'm trained by U.S. Air Force. Why it has to be any difference just because I have an Afghan license? So there has been a flight school that um, offered me a full scholarship that I would be able to get all my uh, U.S. license. And um, they also helped me to get my uh, certified flight instructor license. So in that case, I can teach. And I'm still in the process and uh, I'm almost about to be done and it's very exciting and the good part is I do fly and um, that's how sometimes I forget my issues in the past because it makes me happy to be back in the air and fly again and do have this opportunity. So, so, so once you complete the courses and all of that, what sort of job opportunities you will have? Uh, so once again, uh, because as I said, in the U.S., certain jobs require a certain paper. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But given the, given the limitations mm -hmm. that you have, where where can you will be able to continue to fly? You said you'll be able to teach. Who would you teach yeah. and where and when? So um, hopefully by July, I am going to get my license and I'm going to teach in flight schools down in Florida because, um, you know, like by teaching, um, I still feel like that would be a great thing for me to do till I have a paperwork to go to the Air Force or fly for the Air Force. But for that, the moment, uh, I will just teach at the flight schools down in Florida. I see. And, and when that when do you think that might happen? I mean, do you have already a job opportunity to do just that? Um, not yet, but uh, once I do have my license, I would definitely uh, start applying for uh, the flight schools um, down here. And hopefully um, one of them, you know, I will get lucky enough to be hired with one of them as an instructor. I see. Yeah, so you have you have a, at least you're hopeful at this point that you're going to be able to find a job and continue what you love to do, which is obviously flying. Uh, I want to, to ask you a couple other questions. I know you're not in politics and you don't, um, uh, but uh, you know about President Biden's decision to withdraw American forces uh, from Afghanistan by, I guess, September 1st or something along these lines. And do you a do you think the Afghani Air Force will be able to main, to to maintain uh, to stay in as an air force or is going to pretty much be dismantled without American support? Well, that's a very very hard thing at the moment to think about because 
by the time I was home um, back in Afghanistan in the Air Force, I still think um, our government is not that strong or that well-trained yet to be fully um, have the responsibility of protecting the country. And um, it's kind of scares me since I heard this story of uh, President Biden is going to remove all the forces from Afghanistan. And I'm a little upset that sometimes I think like I don't want where Iraq went to Afghanistan end up like that as well, because we all remember what happened when all the forces withdraw from Iraq. It got completely under the ISIS control. So that's kind of scares me as well, because the first thing is, again, nobody would be able to protect the woman law, the woman's right, that all this year's woman, um, woman's right changed in the country. And the first thing is going to hurt is going to be the woman that's going to get hurt again, because as much as they are going to be strong and powerful and protect the country, but I still think the woman's going to get hurt in this situation because not all the people mentality changed entire this years to give women a spot or a position. And um, as I say, like, I'm not very into political matters, but it's still, uh, it's something that I'm not 100%, 100% like happy with. And I don't think it's going to end up 100% successful. It's a little scary for me to think about it right now. But I mean, I'm, I'm ideal in, in politics. And, um, and from my perspective, as I was observing, the situation in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. I've always thought and maintained that once the United States withdraw from Afghanistan, almost under any circumstances, the Taliban will, will take over. Yes. No matter what deal the U.S. can make with Afghanistan, with the Taliban, the, the government, the current government or future government will not be able, will not be sustained and the Taliban will eventually take over. So under these kind of conditions, if the Taliban eventually will take over, and I, I believe that is going to happen. Uh, from your perspective, do you think the, that your family will be even more affected by what happened if it, once the Taliban takes over? Absolutely. And that's the most of my fear is for sure for all the Afghan innocent people. And what it scares me as well is right now with all this, um, you know, help, all these uh, U.S., British, all these uh, NATO forces in Afghanistan, still the situation is not that great. And we hear and we are witness of how many schools got bombed, how many recently in a wait in a month, like last month, how many people got killed. And it's still both U.S., Afghan government, everybody's helping and everybody's still there, This the situation. And what it scares me is when, as you mentioned, the Taliban is definitely going to get over or control of the country. And my family is still, unfortunately, in the country, and um, they don't have the support of anybody. There's nobody to support them, and they can easily be the target because I wish the story was ended when I just left and I'm not in the Air Force anymore. But that's never the case because, as I mentioned before, this, this is part of a culture that no matter what time, how many years passed, 
somebody has to do what they thought it's wrong. Somebody has to hurt someone just because I did something wrong. And um, that's very scares me to even think about it. And I had this conversation with my family that what is going to happen? And I noticed the fear on their voice as well that they had no hope. And um, there was nothing for me to even, you know, mention or make the situation even worse by talking about it. But I did not feel like they had a hope that things is going to get better or not, it's not going to get worse, which is hard. Now, I want to ask you, you know, um, uh, given that um, most likely, like we said before, the Taliban uh, sooner or later will take over, What are the, what is the prospect uh, for your, your family, especially your father, your mother, your sister, to be able to leave the country like the next few months? Would they have, would, is there any opportunity for them to leave? As we all know, unfortunately, um, you know, between all these bad people in the country, between it's hard for, you know, most of the countries to believe or trust who is a good person, who is not a good person. It's the situation is very hard for my family right now to even leave Afghanistan because most of the countries, even the closest country neighbor uh, to ours, um, they don't even give visa to people, which is the hard part that it's hard for them to realize who is the good person, who is not. And that's the same thing for my parents, you know. And also, where are they going to go? It's the country that they grow up. They have millions and millions of memories, and they grow up there. They got married there. They grow up there. Um, they have all the things that they wished for. They made it happen. It's all there. So they're only, you know, it's not only one reason of how they're going to get out. Yes, for security, everybody needs that. It's their their job and this is their responsibility to keep themselves and their family alive and safe. But right now there's no hope because everybody is very scared to get anybody visas even to get out of the country. And it's the same thing for my family as well. And it makes mm. the process hard to even leave. So, so under these circumstances, what, what, what are, what are you hoping for to happen? Well, I, will... I mean, you are in America, they are in Afghanistan, and if they cannot leave, and you cannot go back, what do you expect to happen? It's already, you know, scaring me to think about it because it has been seven years I haven't seen my family, and it breaks my heart. And I hoped for okay. Maybe a couple of years, I will be able to go see them. And what it scares me is, what if they get still stuck in Afghanistan and things go very bad and the Taliban get, you know, control of the country and we all know what happens after that. So, and then it scares me like how many more years I will not be able to see them. And I sometimes try to be ignorant and not think about it. This is going to be the case. And I've always been, um, you know, thinking positive. I always had a faith for future. Things is going to get better. And the most important thing, I do have a lots of faith on my father that he's a very strong man. He is very smart and very strong. And he never gave up. He would never give up. The same situation that we were all child and the Taliban got over 
um, the country and he protected all of us. I'm sure he do have a plan for his family as well, that if this would be the case, what else he needs to do and protect everybody. And that's something I'm never worried about. But I'm most scared that um, how many more years we will be all like this and I will not be able to see them or even help them because it breaks my heart that sometimes I blame myself. It would It's all because of me that they are in this situation, but I wish I could help them. Right now, my own hands are tight. I can't even help them. I can't even help myself right now. What about helping them? And um, it's just sometimes I just don't want to think about the, this is going to be the route. This is going to be the future. But at some point, we have to see the reality as well, which can be scary. That's right. Well, you know, you are obviously absolutely deserve the Women of Courage uh, Prize, which is which is terrific. And I want to wish you absolutely the best of luck. I know how tough it is and how tough it could be in the future. But like you said yourself, you have to remain hopeful. Absolutely. And, um, and that will sustain you. Uh, hope it will sustain you. And is there anything else you would like to add? Um, you know, like we are all human. We do have our downside and there's a good things happen in life as well. But one thing I learned from my father that I should always be faithful. I should always think about what is the next plan? What is, what am I going to do to make something better? At least make one person change. And I would never give that up. And I, I want everybody to think the same way because if we can help one person in our life, how many people are in this world that they do have the power to help and support someone and it will change the world and it will make the world a better place. There will be no one to struggle. And um, then the last good news is I wanted to mention that I um, am going to publish my book in July 6th. And I'm very excited about it. And um, it makes me happy to at least share what I had to go through. And it will be a good experience or a good lesson for the people that they have everything in life, everything in life. They grow up in a very good country like the U.S., that they have everything, new generation especially. They should not take it for granted. They should be like appreciating this life because what they have is something someone else is struggling in other part of the world. And that's the important thing. And that's terrific. I didn't know you were writing a book. And I guess the book is going to be about your own life story. Am I right to assume that? Absolutely, yes. Which is, which is really terrific. I mean, you have a, a fabulous, fantastic story to tell. And uh, many people, a lot of people, I hope, and the thousands, if not the million, will be able to hear your story. Uh, because, uh, you know, something, well, the whole saga in Afghanistan was nothing short of a tragedy. But someone like you can emerge from this tragic situation and hope for something bigger, better for the country. And I really think that what you have done, your experience, and what you're going to do in the future or uh, goes very well for, for Afghanistan. All I can say, all the power to you. Thank you. Keep it up. Thank you. Never give up. Never give up. Thank you. Definitely will not. 
definitely would never <laughs> give up. That's not my rule of life. Like I would never give up, even though I have to start from zero. Terrific. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck, really. Thank you so much for having me, and it was great honor to talk to you as well. The pleasure is mine. Thank you. Take good care, and all the best to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page, and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.